Well, hey, good morning, Harvest. How are we doing? Good, good. Hey, can we thank the worship team for um, just leading us so well and being so faithful? God is great. Amen. And um, before uh, we do anything else, can I just get a quick show of hands? Who was at the uh, Vertical Men rally with us last weekend? All right, men, I need you to do a job. Can we uh, thank our, the women and the ladies in our life who allowed us to get away for a weekend and uh, took care of things and allowed us to be part of that? Thank you. Um, you know, here's what I would say. We've put a lot of effort and thought and planning and prayer into that event and um, and what's cool is, is then we all get up there and God does something that we is just, it's far better than anything we could have put together. And um, one of the cool things that happened, a couple of cool stories is on Saturday, um, I had a, a, one of the cabin leaders approached me and he's like, hey Cal, there's two guys in my cabin who want to get baptized. And, and would you maybe consider baptizing them in the lake after the last session Saturday night? And I was like, yeah, I'd be happy to. And then I started talking to some of the other pastors that were there, and I was like, well, listen, maybe we just open it up to any men who, who want to take that step of faith and get baptized. So we kind of said, all right, men, if you're feeling the Lord moving in your life in this direction, would you take that step of obedience and step of faith? We hadn't planned it. We hadn't put anything together. Like, there was just a lake on the property. Like, we're going to go across the property and, and do it. And 26 men came forward and got baptized last weekend from the, the four different churches that were there. And... Uh, Here's, here's the funny part. There, there was a guy that got baptized from Ravana Baptist Church. Okay, and here's the thing. You need to know this. We didn't partner with Ravana Baptist Church for this event. We don't know how we got there. We don't know how we registered. We have no idea even really who this guy was, but the Lord moved in his heart and got baptized. And like, God's just great. And so here's what I would say. Um, listen, I understand the end of May, beginning of June is really, really busy and it's really, really difficult. But here's what I would challenge you men who weren't able to get there this year. Commit in your hearts that you're going to be there next year. Um, this is just, it's the highlight of our calendar for our men's ministry. And God just does amazing work in our hearts and lives. So do whatever you can. Write that down. You know, 2020, I'm going to be there. I would really encourage you to do that. All right. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew 14. We're going to be in Matthew 14 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. We have people coming down the aisles who'd love to get a copy of God's Word to you. You're going to want a Bible. We're going to be in Matthew 14, starting at verse 22. If you don't own a Bible, keep it as our gift to you. And if this is your first time with us, my name's Calvin. I'm the lead pastor here at Harvest. And I'm just so thankful and honored that you would be spending your weekend with us. That's such a privilege for us. I hope you're enjoying yourself. And here's what I would say for all of us this morning. Um, this morning's going to be really, really good for us. Um, we've had um, three services already, and the response has been really, really good. God is meeting us in, in a unique way together um, this morning. And, and here's what I would say. One of the coolest things about being a pastor, but also one of the weirdest things about being a pastor, is I would say a little bit more than once a month, I'll have someone reach out to me over Facebook, and they'll be like, hey, Cal, do you have five minutes? I have to get a hold of you. I have to talk to you. Um, most of the time, these are people that I don't know, that I've never met. Some go to our church, some don't go to our church, some are believers, some are unbelievers, but they know I'm a pastor, so I get these random messages, hey, do you have a few minutes to talk? I got one just this week. And every time the conversation goes the exact same way. It goes like this. Hey, Cal, the circumstances in my life are really, really difficult right now. I'm in a storm, and it could be a marriage thing, it could be a job thing, it could be a health thing, it could be all of the above. 
And it's like, I don't know where God is. I don't know what God's doing. And I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. I need help. I'm desperate. And uh, this morning, um, it's going to answer uh, a couple of these questions that I think hit home with us that are really, really important. And it's this. Why does God allow us to face difficult circumstances and storms in life? And then when we find ourselves in a season of being in a storm, what do we do? How do we navigate that? I know for sure some of you are in here and you're like, this is right where I'm at. And and, um, this is going to be super, super helpful for you. Look at verse 22 with me. We'll jump right into the text. Here's what it says. It says, immediately he, talking about Jesus, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. All right, so the context of this passage is super, super important. Um, Do me a favor. If you just look in your Bible and you look up at the headings, what's the story that happened right before this one? What, what, What does it say? All right, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. And some of you know this story that Jesus had gathered uh, to teach and a large crowd of 5,000 plus people were there and he was teaching all day and they were hungry. So Jesus took a Lunchable and fed all of them. Prayed over it, blessed it, the Lunchable covered everyone. It was this miraculous work. And what it says is the crowd was so pumped about seeing this miracle that they wanted to make him king right then and there. They said, you're the Messiah, you're king, let's go to Jerusalem, let's overthrow the Roman Empire, let's go, we're doing this. The crowd's super, super ramped up, this, like things are building. And it says, immediately he made, now if you take notes in your Bible, underline the word made, that's an important word in this text. He made the disciples get in the boat. And what we can infer from the language is the disciples didn't want to go. There was an argument. If it were up to the disciples, they would have stayed with Jesus. And they might have argued for a couple of different reasons. Maybe the disciples were worried about Jesus' safety. They're like, hey, this crowd's getting fired up. We're worried about a riot. They want to make you king. They want to make some stuff happen. It's not safe for you to be by yourself, Jesus. Let us help navigate the crowds. Let us stay, stay with you. We don't want to leave you right now. Or maybe they argued because they were professional fishermen and sailors, and they looked out, and they saw a storm on the water. And they're like, yo, Jesus, we don't want to get into a boat right now. Everyone else is coming in. It's not safe for us to go out into the storm. You're putting us in harm's way. We don't want to do that. But Jesus says, no, 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 you need to get in the boat. Go on the other side. I'll meet you there. There was some disagreement. There was some tension in this moment. Here's the big idea. It's this. It's that Jesus sends the people he loves into storms. That Jesus sends the people he loves into storms. Can we just like sit on that for a moment? Like, are you guys cool with that? Someone's shaking their head no at me. <laughs> like, I don't like that, man. Um, Jesus sent his disciples who followed him, who he loved, into the middle of a storm. And listen, I think there's a couple types of storms we find ourselves in. Um, some of them are, are storms of consequences over decisions that we've made where we've done things we regret, we have made um, choices that have been hurtful, and and we're living out those consequences, right? There's another story 
in the Old Testament about a guy who got caught in a storm, and his name was Jonah, right? You remember that story where God came to Jonah and says, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh and evangelize that city. And Jonah's like, no way, God. There are enemies, they are wicked people, and he got in a boat fleeing from God, trying to get as far away as he could, sailing to Tarshish. And God caused a storm to stop Jonah in his tracks, and the storm didn't stop until Jonah was thrown overboard and swallowed by a fish, and three days later, he spit up on the shores of Nineveh, right? It's like, no matter how far you run, God's going to bring you exactly where he wants you to be. Right, that was a storm of consequence. But you need to understand this. This storm that the disciples were in, it wasn't a consequence. It was a circumstance that Jesus led them into. They'd spent all day listening to Jesus, following Jesus, helping Jesus navigate the crowds, feeding the people, serving Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, um, because I love you, I'm going to send you into a storm. Listen, When Jesus sends us into storms, you need to believe this. It's not because he's angry at you. It's not because he doesn't love you or because he's a bad captain and doesn't know what he's doing. He's doing it because he loves you. And I want to show this to you in John 15. John 15 says this. Says Jesus says, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. All right, so this is interesting. So the branches that, that, that are in Christ that bear fruit, he doesn't like put them in a trophy case and be like, oh man, this branch is awesome. It, it's nailing it. It's doing an amazing job. He says, no, no, no. When we do bear fruit, when we do follow the Lord, when we are growing in our faith, he's gonna prune us back so that we would bear more fruit. And listen, I'm not a gardener. I'm not gonna pretend like I am, but I've talked to some people who are gardeners and here's what they told me about pruning. They said, listen, it's very, very intentional and it's precise and you're doing it to make the plant healthier, but the process is violent. It's literally cutting back at the branch, taking things away violently so that the branch or the bush or whatever you're pruning would become healthier. Pruning is a storm. It's violent. So here's the question. Why? Why does Jesus choose to do this to us? Why does he send those he loves into the storm? Um, And here's why. It's because it's in the storm where Jesus is going to do the absolute best work on our hearts. It is in the storm that he is growing our dependence on him in a way that nothing else will Um, John 15, five through six, in this same message Jesus is preaching, he says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. And so here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying is, listen, the, the way you grow and the way you mature in Christ It's not by becoming more independent from Jesus Christ, but it's actually by growing more dependent on Jesus Christ. That the way that we grow and the way that we mature, it's that we learn how to more closely abide to the vine who is Jesus, who gives us life. We hold on more tightly to him, right? And this is a crazy idea because growth and maturity happen the exact opposite in life, right? Like, like for us, the, the older and more mature we get, the more independent we become, right? 
Like, how are you guys enjoying this beautiful October weather we're having right now? You, got, you guys happy about it? Well, there was, there's been like three good days so far this, this summer where it's actually been like worthwhile to go out and be in the sun. And a couple of those was two weeks ago today. It, it was a Sunday night and um, Mary and I decided to take our kids. My uh, twin daughters are eight, both six. Judah is four, and we're like, hey, let's go down to the boardwalk, and, and let's go get some ice cream, and let's just go walk downtown Grand Haven. And, and something happened that hasn't happened in the last eight years of Mary and I's marriage that Sunday night. We drove downtown to Grand Haven, took our kids out for a walk on the boardwalk, and we didn't have to pack a stroller. First time in eight years. And, and the kids ran, and they played, and it was enjoyable, and we got ice cream and like, Mary, this is actually fun, right? Because four years ago when Judah was a baby and Bo was two and the girls were four, if you wanted to go downtown, you've got to take the double stroller because we have identical twins. And here's the truth. Nobody knows how to fold those and unfold those the correct way. So I'm like yanking it out of the car. I'm already sweating. I'm saying bad words under my breath. I'm trying to fold this thing. Then I've got to strap uh, Judah to myself, who's the baby, and he's the little heat box. So it's like 80 degrees, and I'm sweating, and I've got this heat monster on me. And then I've got to have Bo on my shoulders because he's only two, and he can't walk far. And then we've got to bring the diaper bag because someone's pooping at some point uh, on our journey. And like Mary and I are looking at each other and was like, whose idea was this? Who was like, oh, it's going to be so fun to go down? No, this is miserable. <laughs> right? But then as we get older and the kids get more mature and independent, it's like, this is awesome. We should do this more often. Like, isn't that the point of parenting, that we would raise kids who would be independent and successful and be able to navigate life on their own as adults? Okay, but here's what you need to understand. In our relationship with Christ it's the exact opposite. Growth in Christ means growth in daily dependence on Christ. And I think this is an idea that's so easy for us to miss because oftentimes when we think about us maturing in, in Christ, here's what we think, I'm gonna perform better, right? I'm gonna pray more. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to have more of a witness. I'm going to have more victory over sin in my life. Like It's all of these things that I'm going to do to perform better because I'm growing and I can do this on my own. And what Jesus says, no, no, it's not about your effort and your performance at all. What growth and maturity in Christ is, is you actually become more dependent. And every day, every hour, it's like, God, I need you in my life right now to show up. God, would you help me? God, would you give me wisdom? God, would you help me navigate this issue I have at school? God, would you help me be patient at work? God, would you help me navigate this relationship in a way that would honor you? And what happens is the filter of our life tends to be, God, I need you. And then here's the awesome thing. All those fruit of growth happen. When I'm growing in dependence on Christ, I'm gonna be growing in prayer and reading his word because I need to hear from him more because I'm more dependent and his spirit's going to be more, more alive in, in me, and he's going to be moving more powerfully, and I'm going to have more victory because I'm relying on him even more. It's absolutely counterintuitive to how we view growth and maturity. But here's the thing. So what Jesus does is, because he loves us, he's going to send us into the storm because when um, life is calm and the waves aren't high, we fall into this trap where we believe we can navigate everything on our own power. 
right? Our, our, our predisposition is, is, I've got this, I'm smart enough, I'm in control, I can make the decisions. So what Jesus does, because he loves us, he's going to send us into a storm where we can't figure out what to do and we can't navigate it, and we have no other choice but to turn to him in dependence. He's sending us into a storm, church, because he loves us and because he's good. All right, so let's shift our focus for what does it mean to look to Jesus in the middle of a storm? Look at verse 23. It says this, and after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long, uh, was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Here's the first thing we see is that when the wind is against me, I need to look to Jesus. When the wind is against me, I need to look to Jesus I love that description of what it means to be in the storm. It says that they're a long way from land. So it feels like, man, safety's far away. It's dark outside, and they're being beaten by the wind and the waves. Like, do you guys know what that feels like, right? You guys ever been in a season where you're like, man, everything is hard right now. And I'm doing my best, but I don't seem to be making any traction. This is difficult. I'm tired. I'm wiped out. And things don't seem to be getting any better. And here's what's amazing. The disciples, they can't do anything about the wind. Right? The wind is out of their control. They can't calm the wind on their own. So, so what God is doing is, is he is making them work against a force that is bigger than themselves that they can't control because God is trying to grow their dependence on him and, and making them call to him for help and, and for rescue. Look here. You know that on some level all of us are control freaks, right? Like, Can you turn to your neighbor and tell them they're a control freak? Can you say you're a control freak? Some of you are like, yes, please, thank you. Okay, and then now can you turn to that same neighbor and say, I'm a control freak as well? Right, we can be humble here at church. Listen, none of us, look here, none of us like being in a situation where we don't have control. I, I, maybe it's a health thing. Right, I remember vividly six years ago when my daughter uh, spiked 104 degree fever and had a seizure and wouldn't wake up for 25 minutes. I remember looking over my daughter, helpless to make her wake up. Right, there's nothing I can do in this moment. Right? Maybe, maybe it's a health thing where um, there's a cancer diagnosis or you have a loved one who's battling a disease and it's like this is completely out of my control. It's not a good feeling. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe you're coming to the reality that you have no ability to change another person's heart. Right? That's not a fun realization, is it? Maybe it's a kid that's walking in rebellion and it's like, I can talk to them, I can yell at them, I can argue with them, I can logic with them, I can plead with them, I can cry with them. But I am powerless to change my child's heart. Only God can do that. Maybe there's a broken relationship where it's like, unless there's a heart change, this person that I love, this relationship seems irreparable. Maybe it's a work thing. Maybe you're suffering in your job or maybe you even lost your job because someone else in a different department in a meeting that you weren't at made a decision that you had no control over, but it messed with your life. None of us like the feeling of not being in control 
and here's what I'm saying. What it means to have the wind against you, it means, you're out of con- it means you, you can't control the circumstance. And so what do we do in that moment? We've got to look to Jesus. And we've got to say, God, I have control over nothing. But God, I believe you're in control. And I believe you're good. And I believe your character. And I believe you're with me. So I'm going to lean in and say, God, what are you doing? What are you teaching me? Like, can I, can I ask you something? What are the things in your life? Just think for a minute. Make this personal. What are the things in your life that you don't have any control over? Like, is there a situation right now where you're like, man, this is hard and I have no control over it? And I would encourage you, if you're taking notes, just write that down and ask yourself, all right, God, what are you doing in my heart in this? You're trying to grow my dependence. You're trying to mature me. What are you trying to show me right now? Jesus loves us because Jesus loves us. He's going to take away control so that we would grow in dependence on him. Look at verse 25. It says this, and in the fourth watch of the night, so just so you know, that's like 3 a.m. in the morning roughly, he came to them, Jesus, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walk on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. So in the middle of the night, in the middle of the storm, the disciples are exhausted. They've been spending all day serving Jesus. Now they've been fighting this storm for hours. They're scared. They're nervous. And Jesus walks out on the water to them. But it's dark. They don't see him very well. And when they see this figure approaching, it says this. It said they cried out in fear and they were terrified. Well, what the text is saying is, is they screamed like little girls. Right? When the disciples saw Jesus, they freaked out. And to help us understand what that looked like, I've enlisted the help of my daughter, Nora. Check out this video. Jesus, <laughs> right? That was the disciples' response right there. And so, um, just to be honest, I was like, hey, Mary, do we have any videos of me scaring the kids? And she sent like one after another, after another, after another. I'm like, okay, maybe I have a problem. You know, like... I really enjoy doing that. If you haven't done it, you should try it. It's great. Um, But that was their response. They were terrified. And and so here's what I need you to see. There's an interesting component to this passage that we've got to wrestle with. Hadn't the disciples, just the day before, just a few hours before, hadn't they seen Jesus do an incredible miracle? Hadn't they seen Jesus feed 5,000 people with a kid's snack? And I think it would be easy for us to get judgmental on the disciples here. And to be like, if I would have been in the boat, I would have expected Jesus to show up. And when Jesus came out on the sea, I wouldn't have been freaked out at all. I would have known it's him. I would have known that he's in control. I wouldn't have been scared at all. I've got greater faith than the disciples. Okay, listen. If that process is going through your mind right now, can I lovingly tell you that you are so, 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 so wrong? And and let me prove it to you. Do me a favor. Raise your hand if you have seen and experienced God's presence and power in your life. Raise them up high. Okay, we got a room full of hands raised. All right, you can put them down. Let me ask you another question. Raise your hand if you still get freaked out by the unknown. So it looks like we got a room full of disciples, huh? Right? Exact same thing. We've seen God move, we've seen his power, we've experienced his presence, and yet when something unknown happens, we get terrified. Listen, the hardest part sometimes about being in the storm is that there's so many unknowns, right? God, how's this going to play out? Is this going to get better soon, or is it going to get worse before it gets better? 
when exactly is this going to end? How much longer? And so much of the fear and anxiety in our lives is over the unknowns in our lives that we aren't in control over. Okay, and so what does it mean to look to Jesus when I'm really, really scared because I'm facing unknowns? Again, it's as simple as saying, God, I'm going to hold on to you right now. I don't know what's coming, but I believe that you are the author of time in history. And you promised me that you are working all things together for my good and for your glory. And I'm going to hold on to that promise right now. God, I need you. I'm going to call out to you. We're going to keep talking about this, God, because I'm still scared. But I'm going to hold on and depend on you in the midst of the storm Look at verse 28. It says, And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt Okay, so here's where the story gets really interesting. Peter sees Jesus on the water, and he's like, hey, Jesus, let me come out to you if it is really you. All right, that's an interesting statement, right? Like, if I was Peter, I'd want to be really sure it was Jesus before I hopped out of the boat. But he's like, if it is you, let me come out. Like, Peter is just way more bold and brash and more of a risk taker than I would be in that moment. And Jesus is like, all right, come on out, Peter, it's me. And, and, and he takes a step. But then he looks around and he sees the the wind and he sees the waves and he starts to panic and he starts to get scared and he starts to immediately sink. And what we see so clearly is this, it's that when my circumstances cause me to doubt, I need to look to Jesus. When my circumstances cause me to doubt, I need to look to Jesus. Okay, so here's what I love about God's word. Every time you open it up, and you can read the same story 10 times, and God can reveal 10 things that are different that you you wouldn't have seen before, but you see now. Here's the thing that has just stuck with me this time I've worked through this passage. Um, Here's the question I can't get over. Why did Jesus keep it stormy after Peter stepped out on the water? Like, couldn't he have caused the sea to go to glass in that moment as soon as Peter stepped foot on the water? Like, why? Like, it would have been just as great of a miracle. He still would have calmed the storm. Peter's doing everything you would want him to do. He's trusting Jesus. He's walking in faith. He's taking risks because he believes Jesus. Why does Jesus keep it difficult? Like, he could have made it super easy and not caused Peter to get terrified. See, here's a tendency for us, and I think this is what this is revealing I think so often, rather than having us grow our dependency in Christ by staying in the storm, we want Jesus to be the miracle cure that just gets us out of the storm. You hear what I'm saying? Like, I think so often when a storm hits us, the first thing we do is we try to navigate it in our own strength. And when that fails, it's like, all right, Jesus, I'm listening. You have my attention. I'm turning to you. I'm going to trust you in this. But man, it'd be really nice if the storm ended like right now. Like, I'm in the storm, you've got me, now make it go away, please. Okay, here's the problem with that theology. Again, what is Jesus doing in the storms? He's growing our dependency. He's not just trying to get our attention, but he's saying, I want you to sit in this 
because I'm not done working on your heart yet. Stay in it with me, and you're going to grow more than if I just made the circumstance go away. So here's the question. What happens when we're trusting Jesus, and we're depending on him, and we're calling out to him in the storm, but the storm doesn't get any lighter? Well, I think if we're honest, here's what happens. Oftentimes, we begin to doubt, don't we? Isn't that kind of the moment when doubt creeps in? This is what I deal with when people write me, and they're like, God, where, where, where are you? And here's what I want to do. This isn't in your notes, but feel free to write them down. Here's three doubts that the storms tend to produce about God. It's this. Hey, God, where are you? Like, God, are you even real? Are are, are you there? I'm calling out. I'm praying, but I must not be doing it right. I, I must not be good enough because you don't seem to be present with me. God, where are you? Or maybe the question you're asking is, God, are you even good? Well, like, God, if you are good and you are righteous and you are holy, how could you let this person I love get cancer? It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. How can I trust in your character if it feels like evil is prevailing in my life? Or maybe the question you're answering is, is God, are you in control? Like, is reaching out to you, is following you even going to do anything in this situation? Or is it already lost? Is it already too far gone? Is it too late? These are the real questions that we are forced to wrestle with as we are seeking to follow Jesus in the storm. This is the very thing Jesus is trying to do in our heart, is to um, answer these questions. And here's what I love about this passage. Jesus answers all three of these questions in one perfect statement. Look at verse 31. It says, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Okay, so here's what you need to know. In Matthew, Jesus uses this phrase, Oh, you of little faith. He uses it a lot. And every time he uses it, here's what it means. He's saying, Wait, you didn't think I would show up and meet this need? And what he's saying to Peter in this moment is, listen, you don't think I had this, bro? And he answers these three doubts because he's like, listen, you wonder where I am? I'm right here. I'm with you. I'm present. Oh, you little faith. You didn't think I was here? You didn't think I had this? I told you to come walk to me. Hey, God, are you good? Of course I'm good. As soon as you started sinking, I grabbed you and I pulled you out of the ocean because I wasn't going to let you go. Because even when you're faithless, I remain faithful. Of course I'm good. I got this. Well, God, are you in control? Dude, you're walking on the water with me right now. What do you think? Like, oh, you, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Like, I've got this. And I'm telling you, that's what Jesus would tell us right now. I'm with you, and I'm good, and I'm here, and I love you, and trust me, hold on to me. I've got this. When my circumstances cause me to doubt, we have to look to Jesus. I had a conversation with an elder in our church this week, and uh, he told me, he wrote me something that was so profound, I wanted to share it with you. Here's what he said. He said, Cal, it's only when you have nothing else stable to rest on, does the power of the cross really become your power. And he said, listen, um, your friends, they're going to fail you. And your family, it's, they're going to fail you. Your team... They're going to fail you. Mary is going to let you down and she's going to disappoint you. Jesus will not. The cross 
will not, and we can't miss this lesson. When I've got nothing else, I've got to believe. I've got to hold on to Jesus. Let's look at how the story ends. Look at verse 32. It says this, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. And I love how this story ends, because what you see so clearly is this, it's because he's Lord of absolutely everything, we need to look to Jesus. Like, I love that he gets in the boat. Notice he doesn't even say anything and the storm stops. Like, he didn't even have to give the effort to say anything. And a storm instantly stops. Because he is creator, he is Lord, and he is absolutely in control. And when he wants the storm to end, the storm will end. He is in control. And I love how this story ends. The story ends with the people who love Jesus and who Jesus loves, who are now more dependent on him. The disciples are different men having gone through this storm than when they started the day. And how do they respond? They worship. Jesus as Lord. He's proven himself faithful. And listen, growing maturity and growing dependency always leads to growing worship because he's proven himself faithful. Um, so the way God works is that oftentimes, just through the, the nature of our preaching schedule, he will make me land and wrestle with a text that is exactly where I'm living right now in my life. And I think that's his goodness to be like, all right, Cal, you've got to deal with some stuff. I'm going to plant you right here and you've got to preach it. So you've got to know it well and you've got to sit on it. And here's what I would say. If I could just be completely transparent with you, I don't think I would define 2019 as a storm, um, but it's definitely been a pruning season in my life and in the, in the life of our church in many ways. And here's what I mean. You, many of you know that in December, we planted Harvest Bible Fremont. And, and listen, um, I would do it again every time. I am just so thankful for what the Lord is doing. It is such a joy and a blessing to be a part of what God is doing in that community through Pastor Eric and um, Pastor Aaron and, and Pastor Dan. But, but here's what you need to understand. Um, like losing those relationships on a day-to-day -day level has been really, really difficult. Like I love Eric and Jenny. Like, like I tell people all the time, I'm the guy that discovered Eric Klingel. All right, here's what you need to understand. When Eric moved back from California to, to, to Spring Lake, he just wanted to like um, have a, an online shop and, and do, do some other things. And he'd just been in ministry and he was burnt out. And I'm the one that convinced him like, dude, I think the Lord's calling you to this church. I think he's gonna use you in great ways. And, and, and I, I, I want you to be a part of our team. And he's like, I'm down, but there's no way you're gonna convince my wife. And then I convinced her. Right? And I tell people, look, on my tombstone, I'm just going to be known as the guy who found Eric, right? And I'm cool with that. But listen, then we had like four or five years of just great relationship, great ministry experience. And then to make that worse, losing Eric and Jenny, Eric stole Dan and Christy right from under our noses. And don't let him tell you anything different. That's what happened. And listen, I love Dan and Christy fiercely. They're some of my best friends. I had dinner with them a couple weeks ago, and it's like, man, I miss you guys. And here's what I would say, across all spectrums of my life in relationships right now, God's just choosing in his goodness to prune things back. And so even as I wrestled with this this week, it's like, all right, I have a choice. I can focus on how hard it is 
I can focus on the pain. I can feel bad for myself. I can, I can give up and I can say, woe is me. Or I can abide in Jesus in this season and say, Jesus, I believe that you know what you're doing. And I believe that you're pruning me back because you love me and it's intentional and you're preparing me and our church for a greater season of fruitfulness. So I'm gonna lean into the pain and I'm gonna pray through it and I'm gonna trust you and I'm gonna walk with you. Listen, some of you are in a storm right now. And if you are, look at me, look at me right in my eyes. Let me tell you this. You're not in a storm in spite of Jesus's love for you. You're in a storm because he loves you. This is his grace in your life and it doesn't feel like it, but he's doing a work in your heart that he couldn't do in any other season. And I tell you what, if you would trust in him and abide in him and lean into it, what you're gonna hear is this, I got this. I'm with you and I'm good and I'm here. And if you're here and you're not in a storm right now, can I tell you something? It's coming, like, like it's coming. And so here's what I would challenge you with if that's you, can you commit in your heart right now for when the storm comes, you're not gonna despise it. You're not gonna be angry. You're not gonna give up. You're not gonna lose heart, but we're gonna understand this is what Jesus does. He sends the people he loves into storms. Listen, we have an eternity waiting for us that is going to be storm-free. This life is a vapor and these are the moments where we're going to learn what it means to trust and hold on to and have faith in God that we're not gonna have to in the future. So let's face these seasons with joy and confidence because when everything else is sinking and falling away, we have a solid rock who never moves and his name is Jesus Christ, amen? Okay, so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna close a little bit differently this morning. I'm gonna close us in prayer. And then Chris is gonna sing a song that I think just so beautifully fits this text. And he's gonna sing it over us as a prayer. And maybe halfway through, if you want to, you can stand up and join him. But I just want us to take a moment and meet with the Lord. No matter, Like, I don't know how you came in here, but you do. And so let's just take a time where we can authentically meet with God right now. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, you are so good and you are kind, and you are faithful. And um, God, as hard as it is to say this, God, we're thankful for the storms you, you bring into our lives. And that doesn't mitigate the reality that it's hurtful, and it's hard, and it's painful, and it's heartbreaking, and it's emotional. But God, we believe that you're greater than the storm. We believe that you are the God of every season and what you're doing in our hearts in this season. It's because you love us. It's because you wanna grow us. And it's because you're kind to us. We need you. We love you. Would you grow us in faith? Would you grow us in dependence? It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.